This is Dr. Kara Shepard, and you're listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. This is part two of enteric protozoans. Uh, we're going to talk about other stuff, other protozoans than coccidia that uh, you may hear about in your goat's poop. Um, so this is probably going to be fairly quick. I don't have any notes, sorry. Um, we have been very busy for the last roughly three weeks uh, with kidding at my place. Um, I'm on my way to a farm call this morning, and I hopefully can get this recorded. The Coxidia episode has been sitting on my computer open. I mean, maybe not open now, because I think the power went out the other day, so my computer probably got shut down. Um, But I was editing the Coxidia episode, and then I got interrupted, and life has been in a pretty crazy state this spring so far which Devin and I can talk about on Tales from the Farm soon. And uh, so, sorry, I apologized in that episode. And if I get my act together, this episode will come relatively regularly on the heels of that episode. And uh, hopefully I'm about to get back into a more regular podcasting routine because I'm about to have a fairly major life change in terms of my job. So, anyway, um, thanks for listening. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. I've had people, like, send me, like, Instagram messages or emails and be like, we missed the podcast, so hopefully I'm going to do a better job at <laughs> podcasting. Um, yeah. Um, if you would like to say hi on the internet, the website is goatdoc.com. You can find me on Instagram at goat underscore doc. You can shoot me an email at goatdoccara at gmail.com. G-O-A-T-D-O-C-C-A-R-A at gmail.com. Definitely on the highway right now, and it's definitely loud. Um, so I will do my best to get rid of some of that background noise, but sorry about that. Hope everyone is having a good spring 2022 and good kidding season, and that's going well for you. Um, I'm not going to do too much like housekeeping stuff here. Contact, info, and we're going to go. Um, this podcast is provided with the intent to educate and inform. It is not a substitute for professional medical advice or veterinary care provided by your primary vet. And I strongly encourage you to establish and maintain a current and valid VCPR veterinarian client patient relationship with your local vet. So um, quick, quick recap on protozoans. If we remember, they are single celled organisms. Um, but they're more complicated than bacteria, as in they have organelles and, uh, you know, just more complicated stuff, but they are still encapsulated by that one cell membrane. So they're single-celled, 
organisms, like bigger and more complicated than bacteria, um, but not getting into being a multicellular organism yet talked about coccidia pretty extensively in the last episode and now let's see what the two big ones that come to mind again I didn't make any notes so sorry Um, but some of these things like when how do you find protozoans as we talked about with coccidia you do a fecal float so um, you can do a fecal float or you can do a uh, like quantitative fecal analysis and I should probably have like a separate podcast to talk about that because I'm sure I talked about that some in the parasite series back from like late 2018 or 2019 I think 2019 Uh, but I could talk about that more just in terms of like a diagnostic and what's useful when like why do you use different kinds of fecal analysis so um, but for the moment, you know, you got to look in the poop without getting into too much detail about those diagnostic processes. You have to look in the poop for these protozoans. And as I've talked about many times, the gut of everything uh, is full of organisms, whether it's people, whether it's goats, whether it's horses, whether it's rats, like we're all full of bacteria in our gastrointestinal system and what kind of bacteria that's going to be can be species specific so these protozoans that uh, definitely you want your protozoans in the rumen because they help break stuff down and therefore provide more energy to the organism that they are living in like the waste product of the organisms in the rumen is the energy for the ruminant which is crazy. Uh, Rumens are super cool. (laughs) Um, But uh, sometimes, you know, sometimes these protozoans can be a problem if they are more like parasitic and not symbiotic. So if they are taking energy and resources away from the animal without some kind of reciprocal benefit to the host animal then you're in more of a parasitic relationship rather than a symbiotic relationship with a symbiotic relationship it's like a mutually beneficial arrangement between the two different organisms so blah 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 lots of words to then come to the point of i think the most common thing Um, that I've seen on fecals is something called entamoeba um, which can usually what I see that come back on as on a fecal float is entamoeba cysts so as I mentioned in I think I mentioned in passing in the previous episode protozoans have different life stages Um, the like coccidia has the little swimmy guys which I think I know I didn't know the word for in the last episode I think maybe be like mirazoites or something like that doesn't matter has a swimmy life stage and has an insisted life stage insisted life stages can exist in the environment for a long time in all of the I mean I I shouldn't say all because I'm not a uh, parasitologist but like The ones that matter clinically in veterinary species, like these insisted stages, can really persist in the environment for a long time and make it very difficult to ever even think about getting rid of them, which is why, as I mentioned in the previous episode, coccidia is a management issue, not an elimination issue. 
So um, these insisted stages. So if you get a fecal back, I, I only send out when I send out fecals for my clients, and I do send them out. I do feed my own fecals and my own animals um, when I do them, but I send them out for clients so that they're consistent. Um, the what I usually would see on the report is entamoeba cysts. So it's that insisted stage. It's not the free swimming life stage that's, you know, actively doing something. It's the insisted stage that usually is like getting pooped out to go in the environment and then do something else. I don't get excited about entamoeba. Um, doesn't seem to cause a problem. Maybe considered normal flora for some ruminants. Um, but in my experience, um, doesn't seem to cause a problem for uh, finding it on a fecal and is not a cause in my book to do some kind of anti-parasitic treatment. The other, and there's probably something I'm forgetting, maybe I'll pause and, and think about it, but the, um, the other more, the other protozoan that I have definitely seen on fecals and makes me a little bit more like wary of um, like should I be concerned about this more, more likely to feel concerned about it is Giardia so you I feel like most people have probably if you have animals or if you're like a hiker or like back like to do like backwoods wilderness things or anything with like wildlife and water you have probably heard of our friend Giardia um, Giardia is a protozoan and it has the insisted life stage which for giardia is like super 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 persistent in the environment like lasts months if not years if i recall correctly like super hardy really hard to like kill with like cleaning products this is a thing of like scorch the earth <laughs> Um, if you're trying to get rid of it like giardia and giardia has a lot of different flavors um i mean not so much different like species as also within species like different strains of the giardia um which i think have like letters um so like giardia whatever a giardia you know giardia would be the genus name and then there'd be a species name and then they'd have be like a b c and there's a lot of them there's a lot of them and i feel like when i took parasitology which is now getting to be more years ago um it was like they were finding more every day. Like the wonders of um, modern genetics and like genotyping things and then being like, well, this one actually is genetically different, so it can be a different species. But yeah, so different strains of Giardia. And then with those strains tend to be more or less species specific. There definitely can be crossover, but it could be like Giardia A can infect, you know, dogs, cats, pigs, whatever, like monogastrics. And this is just, I, I am not, don't take this as like the gospel truth of like whatever, you know, cross species, uh, infection can happen, but there are definitely strains of Giardia that can infect more than one species of host animal. And there are definitely species of Giardia that can infect humans. So Giardia in my book um, is a little bit more concerning for a couple reasons, and the fact that it can infect humans is one of those reasons. 
anytime we have a, a domestic species and in my opinion especially a food animal like a food producing species and you have a, an organism like a, a potentially pathogenic so potentially disease causing organism that uh the food animal species or the pet like if you have a dog with giardia like are you potentially at risk of getting giardia from your dog yeah because i don't know which of the many flavors of giardia your dog has so it is a zoo like there's zoonotic potential there is what we would say in like doctor words um and i don't know how much human doctors know about this part so whatever maybe we're paranoid about it in the in the vet community but there's zoonotic potential for giardia and then the other thing about giardia in goats that i don't like is that when i have seen goats with giardia confirmed on a fecal or when i have um like consulted with other vets one of my vet friends in the relatively recent past and I were texting and she was asking me because she had a patient a goat patient with Giardia like do you do I care about this and so those are the two reasons that so I didn't say the second reason yet the these animals that in my experience and if you're a vet and you see any goats with Giardia and you have a totally different experience let me know all I can I didn't even learn about goats with Giardia in vet school let's be honest here but then you see them out in the wild and my experience with goats with giardia is they look not great <laughs> um i restrained myself from saying bad they don't look good they tend to be poor doers um they tend to not gain weight they tend to kind of look kind of dumpy um i've seen them how i've run across a few goats in my time that just like don't have an interest in eating um and I don't have a fecal on every single one of those not eating goats that I have come across in terms of like, do they all have Giardia? I don't know. Um, Cause like, why else would like, what, what's going on that makes them not eat? Why are they not interested in eating? Ruminants should just be like constant eating machines. But again, in my experience and like these animals, I've seen be positive for Giardia, like they don't look good and they don't do well. Um, so when I've seen Giardia, I, I tend to try to treat it. Um, and it's not Giardia in small animals. So I definitely see more Giardia in small animals, especially when I was in day practice, especially in things like puppies um, coming from like high density, you know, breeding kennels or coming through rescues and things like that when there's a lot of dogs and giardia can absolutely be asymptomatic in um in dogs dog yeah giardia seems to be a dog problem more than a cat problem in, in small animals but um like so those asymptomatic individuals can shed the cysts in the environment and then can be picked up usually like these animals would be younger and kind of like naive animals where they don't their immune system doesn't have the capacity to recognize and or fight off the giardia or whatever pathogen other uh to fight it off and keep the disease at bay so disease can look like diarrhea absolutely and giardia you know saps 
nutrition from its host animal. So, like, uh, and in small animals, why I started to say that was uh, there's a couple of different treatments um, that are, you know, kind of known to be used for killing Giardia. Uh, one is metronidazole, which is an antibiotic, which is illegal for food animal use, if I recall correctly. Like, you just don't give it to food animals, basically. It is illegal. Um, and also, in small animals, when I was in day practice, I did not reach for metronidazole for Giardia anymore because there's papers that say that fenbendazole actually works better. Um, so, for puppies with Giardia, I would treat them with fenbendazole. Um, and fortunately, fenbendazole, while uh, actually is a, it does have a labeled dose for goats, uh, but you would need to talk to your vet if you were trying to treat Giardia, because in my experience, you're going to have to go higher than the labeled dose. Um, but... Yeah, so when I see it, usually, like, I don't, and I don't know, like, honestly, the Giardia thing is a little bit speculative for me because, like I said, didn't learn anything about goats with Giardia in vet school. And then you see it out in the real world and you're like, okay, well, what do I do with this? And when I've seen it in animals, I'm, they're doing crappy and I'm like, well, maybe the Giardia isn't the primary problem, but it's certainly not helping the situation, so let's try to get rid of it and I will treat it um, or recommend that it be treated so yeah um, I haven't had honestly and whether it's because those animals had something else going on that made them susceptible to Giardia infection whether they just had bad luck and picked up the Giardia somewhere somehow and became infected is all very speculative uh, but like, what do you, you know, I, I, I don't know the answer to that, but, but usually, like I said, usually those animals look crappy and I'm like, I don't know if it's the primary thing, but sometimes in vet med, we just have to treat the things that we know are there and see if we see an improvement. Um, so that's, I think, my two cents about Giardia. Those other, I guess, more common protozoans that you may see on a fecal float and kind of the, the opposite reactions that I have to them. One, I'm like, eh, who cares? And one, I'm like, I don't like it. And for Giardia, what I started to say earlier was the two reasons. Two, the one reason, zoonotic potential. Second reason, those animals just, in my experience, those animals just seem to be doing crappy. I have yet to meet a fat, robust, shiny, well, like eating well, goat making a ton of milk or growing really big for the meat market or whatever um, that was Giardia positive. So... If you've got one, let me know. But I don't... Zoonotic potential and seems to be found in goats that are doing crappy. Or why I don't like Giardia. So those are my two big ones. Um, aside from Coccidia, of course, which had its whole own episode. And then I guess the other thing... And I don't think I talked about this in the Coccidia episode. 
but I'll talk about it now, is just talking about, you know, I talked about the different options for treatment of uh, protozoans, like antiprotozoal, antimicrobial medications that work on protozoans, how they work, which ones should you use, why or why not. Um, but I also, you know, kind of talked about, like, it's very much in, like, coccidia in particular, and you also could say probably the same about giardia, where giardia is, like, you know, more of a risk in wet areas, uh, because that free-swimming, that giardia one's called a trophozoite, I believe. I don't know why I remember that one and not the coccidia one. But uh, it needs water. It needs water to be able to swim around. Uh, so Giardia can be more, like, is a, more of concern with a, with a wet environment or a wet season. Um, and also doesn't, if I recall correctly, doesn't need, like, the warmth to multiply rapidly like Coccidia does. But in any case, um, when you're... <laughs> These are just, like, literally, like, three of, like, hundreds of protozoans that have been identified and classified by, uh, you know, human scientists. And, like, if you have ever looked at rumen fluid under the microscope, it's full of bugs. It's full of bacteria. It's full of protozoans. And with few exceptions... Those antiprotozoal medications that I talked about in the previous episode are going to kill all of the protozoans, which is not great because some of those protozoans are helping. Um, I think back in one of the rumen episodes, I talked about a paper that I found that was like comparing, like objectively comparing rumen, uh, like productive, like rumen physical characteristics, like characteristics of a healthy rumen you want to see those ruminal papilla so if you look inside the rumen it looks like a shag carpet like uh animals that were raised with just bacteria like only had bacteria in their flora versus in their gut flora versus animals that had bacteria and protozoans so the bacteria only crew was fed some kind of antiprotozoal medication forever and then the uh ones with protozoans were like normal the rumen like physically was better there were more ruminal papilla and there were the papilla were longer in the rumen that had protozoans those are like quantifiable it's not subjective like me talk like me talking about goats with giardia looking crappy that's not very scientific and i will be the first one to to admit that it's not scientific um but like if you're going to have these animals and you're going to have them with bacteria only in their flora and then you're going to have them with bacteria and protozoans in their flora and you then you can measure and like see who does better like you know who has more luxurious long ruminal papilla like and there's a quantifiable like statistically significant difference like that's better science so um and why i'm saying all this and like dragging it out is because when you treat something with an antiprotozoal you're gonna kill the good ones as well as the bad ones which is a bummer so that is why 
I'm not a fan of like feeding grain with a coccidia stat in it unless you have to or you know like all of those things like where I talked about people just want some kind of quick and easy um you know give this pill and it's over uh response to these enteric protozoans when they cause a problem but that's not necessarily best for the long-term management and like outcome for your animals so yeah that's kind of a (laughs) that's kind of a soapbox for me oftentimes I'm like do they need it and is like the more medicine and veterinary medicine and human medicine the more we learn about the gut flora the more the recommendations are to try not to mess with it um and try to avoid antibiotic use and try to avoid antimicrobial use because especially in young animals if you upset that flora you're potentially like looking at like changing that animal's gut flora for life um and it sounds crazy to say that but the more studies people do with like probiotics and fecal transplants and things like these once you alter that flora it can be really hard to get it back to a balance that works the best for that individual animal so anyway um i think that's going to do it for talking about enteric protozoans if you have questions or comments please feel free to give me an email or shout at me on the internet and um someday I might get back to you. <laughs> I have a whole backlog of uh, like listener questions and things like that that I will address at some point someday. Um, maybe this summer. Um, but I think that is going to do it for the moment and I will talk to you guys next time. Meh. <laughs>